This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. The COVID-19 epidemic has had a profound but uneven impact on the public and economic health of the Commonwealth. Just as the novel coronavirus mercilessly attacks the aged or those with pre-existing conditions, the epidemic's damage to our business community has been particularly focused on certain industries and firms. An illuminating and comprehensive study just released by Pioneer Institute entitled The Long View, a public policy roadmap for saving small businesses during the COVID-19 recovery period, carefully breaks down which industries and firms have been hardest hit during the evolution of the epidemic. Beyond measuring spikes in unemployment and business closures, the study evaluates the efficacy of federal and state policy interventions and applies those observations toward recommendations for future legislative action. Here to discuss the study is Andrew Bakula, one of its authors and a research assistant at Pioneer Institute. Andrew's here to share the findings of the paper and what the conclusion suggests for best steps forward. I'll also be joined by John Hurst, president of the Retailers Association of Massachusetts. John offers the perspective of his 4,000 business owners within the Commonwealth as they've endured this unprecedented challenge. When I return, I'll be joined by Andrew McCullough of Pioneer Institute and John Hurst of the Retailers Association of Massachusetts. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Solvaggi. I'm now joined by Andrew McCullough of Pioneer Institute and John Hurst of the Retailers Association of Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having having us. Okay, I want to set the table and start at the beginning. Uh, Let's talk about the new report released from Pioneer Institute. Andrew, as one of its authors, I know this report follows on to research you did in April, again in July, and now here we are in late September or October. Uh, can you start the show with some broad overviews of the conclusions or observations of the report? Yeah, I'd say in terms of broad observations, we've relied mostly on sales data, um, employment figures, especially unemployment claims. Uh, so week after week, we see the same industries have the most unemployment claims in Massachusetts. That's accommodation and food, your hotels, restaurants, casinos, etc. Retail and somewhat counterintuitively healthcare. Um, so all of these industries mostly involve customer facing small businesses. Um, so with the, perhaps with the exception of large change chains, um, they don't have the sort of uh, strong centralized corporate financing needed to weather a crisis of this magnitude. Um, so that's jeopardizing a lot of brick and mortar firms, um, especially on your, your uh, prototypical main street. Um, and it's the basis for, for a lot of the recommendations we make in the paper is uh, helping keep those firms afloat um, and mitigate the impact on the, the families and really entire, entire communities that rely on those firms for employment. So there's a lot there. Uh, I think you're saying the smaller firms are the ones most vulnerable, hardest hit perhaps. Uh, those uh, firms all come with families and, and, and individual faces. Uh, we're in now six months in, which uh, firms are, let's say, weathering the storm and, and looking uh, forward or perhaps likely to survive? And which do you see really uh, are on life support and, and really going down for the third count? 
Yeah, one thing that's been particularly striking to me in my research is how even within certain industries, the impact of the pandemic is so uneven. So if you're a retailer with a significant online presence, um, you know, like Amazon, you could potentially be benefiting from this pandemic on net. Um, if you're a retailer that primarily sells food, grocery store, you're also probably seeing year over year rise in sales figures at this point. Um, but then that's not to discount the cost of, of additional sanitizing, signage, and PPE provision. Uh, but you contrast those kinds of businesses with your furniture store, your electronics store, your sporting goods store, um, and you really get a sense of just how targeted economic relief needs to be for most of these smaller firms to emerge from this crisis. We're going to get into that uh, targeted relief uh, more, more in more detail uh, later on. But um, your paper talks about a host of federal and state um, efforts to support these small businesses. Uh, just in general, at a very high level, what's an example of something that you've seen clearly work or be effective? And what's, uh, let's say, not missed or, or has missed the mark, perhaps? That's a great question. Um, I think the Paycheck Protection Program is probably the, the individual policy um, that has been touted as saving, you know, potentially millions of jobs um, on a, you know, the federal level. Uh, so in our most recent paper, we encourage federal lawmakers to remain flexible in how they administer the PPP. Um, but there's been an application deadline extension, a loan period extension um, that seemed to have really helped a lot of uh, hard hit businesses who, you know, when they first accepted these loans, really didn't think they'd be shut down for almost three months in some cases. Um, as for what's missed the mark, uh, I think attempts to enact a tax credit or deduction targeted at consumers with the goal of helping small businesses has fallen flat in Congress. Um, Pioneer has expressed a great interest in, in giving taxpayers an incentive to support local businesses. But the most prominent piece of legislation that was ever on the table is probably uh, Martha McSally's domestic travel and tourism tax credit. Um, and at worst, uh, that policy is, is basically paying people to take a vacation, right? So we wanna see um, more targeted incentives that can allow a, a broader geography of places to potentially benefit from that sort of tax credit. So are you saying those tax credits were a good idea or uh, not so a good idea? You, you wish they had been passed or uh, you rather they weren't? Right, uh, I, I think there should be some, or there could be some sort of consumer uh, uh, tax credit that's targeted at consumers. Mm -hmm. But I think what it needs to do is, is incentivize people to support um, local establishments. Whereas um, McSally's proposal was um, essentially uh, giving subsidizing people's vacations going 50 or more miles away, um, which is, you know, controversial because obviously the travel industry um, is in dire straits right now, but traveling also comes with a lot of risk, you know, taking, having takeout or uh, outdoor dining at your local restaurant uh, might be a, a safer option that also helps shore up a, a really hard hit sector. I understand. I understand. All right. I want to bring John into the conversation. Uh, you did join Hubwonk in the summer and we were, our, our topic in that point was uh, talking about 
the prudence of, of the governor's lockdown orders. Uh, now, uh, let's uh, revisit that slightly and say, okay, we're now uh, three months beyond our last meeting. Uh, what's your view on uh, how the uh, lockdowns affected your 4,000 members? Were they on target, a little too heavy-handed or uh, too light on, on the touch? Well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Uh, you know, Joe, I, I'll tell you, when we surveyed our members back in, in the beginning of June, we had significant uh, numbers of our members, uh, you know, uh, at least half, that were not happy with the way that state government really handled the whole decisions on, on, on shutdowns and, 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 and controls on, on businesses. And, and whether they were fair, whether it was, they were too arbitrary, whether they were unequally uh, applied. Um, but when we took another snapshot, the beginning of August, uh, those numbers jumped significantly. 80% uh, of our members uh, believe that the governor and, and, and state government have, had done a, a pretty good job, either an excellent job or a good job, uh, you know, balancing the healthcare uh, issues along with the economic issues. So, you know, now that, look, all of our members are open now. Now, the, the question is, to what extent? Um, probably about half of them are not open to, to the full extent that, that, that they had been a year prior. Uh, you know, some of them are, you know, certainly under the state uh, parameters, you can be at about 50% occupancy. Uh, the reality is, um, even at that level, most uh, have not had an issue with, with consumer traffic. The consumers have not come back to the same level that you have an issue with. 50% uh, occupancy, whether you're a store, restaurant, or the like. Um, you know, it, it's it's less an issue now of the government parameters and the government lockdowns and, and, and playing field, and more an issue of, you know, what do consumers feel safe in doing, and, and can we, can we uh, really reestablish that connection with them to get them to come back out and, and shop locally, to spend their dollars locally, and, and for them to know that they can do that safely by masking up and, and knowing that the, the stores and restaurants are spending a lot of money and doing a lot of efforts, even beyond state uh, parameters, to, to keep both the employee and the employee and the, and the customers safe. But not only can they be safe, but also it's important to the economy that they do just that. That you know we don't shouldn't all be defaulting back to spending you know on our smartphone and, and spending you know, literally sending billions of dollars outside the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We need to, we need to raise sales and at the same time, look at ways to lower costs, mandated costs for these small businesses. So John, you've, you've heard what uh, Andrew had said and what he found in his report and perhaps some of the policy prescriptions he finds most useful. Uh, what's your view on which policy interventions uh, your member have helped your members uh, and what would they like to see in the future? Well, a couple of things. It, 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 Right on target, Andrew was on the PPP. Uh, that was an extremely important uh, policy uh, down in DC. They want to see more of it. I think it needs to be more focused. You know, let's face it, a lot of folks got the PPP that frankly were doing just fine zooming from home, right? You don't need to target those industries whose productivity haven't really dropped, you know, just because uh, people are not in an office. You need to target those consumer oriented um, businesses that typically deal with their customer face-to-face. -face. Uh, the stores, the restaurants, the, the tourism type of establishments, those are the ones that need to be really helped out that, that really got shut, either initially shut down 
And, and secondarily, you know, are still struggling because the customers have not returned. They're the ones, all this happened to no fault of their own. Uh, we, you know, they need to have financial, a lifeline, financial help. Um, not really particularly loans either, Joe. And, and Andrew, really, uh, they need to, to have some grant type of money like so many of them were focused on doing with the PPP to cover their rent, to cover their inventory, to cover the costs of, of continuing to, to keep people employed during that time when their sales were, were off. So continuing the PPP, looking at, at reinventing some, some cost structures, whether it be on the leases. Uh, UI is a, is a real issue that we've got to talk about, you know, ways to prevent just catastrophic types of uh, uh, increased costs, payroll costs for, for layoffs that were not the small business's fault. It was layoffs that was government imposed. So these small businesses shouldn't be left with the tab uh, for those up to between five and six billion dollars projected uh, deficits on the UI front. So for our listeners, UI is unemployment insurance. I, we try to steer away from the acronyms. That's a, a pretty familiar one. I just want to make sure we, we address that. Um, uh, you don't have perhaps uh, Andrew's uh, luxury of being a researcher dealing with data and numbers. You're, you're dealing one-on-one with real businesses, real lives, uh, staring them in the eye and, and, and understanding their challenges. Are there any uh, stories? You don't have to use exact names or precise business names, but can you tell us a story about a business that has benefited a great deal uh, you know, from the uh, um, uh, Paycheck Protection Program or uh, who you know, essentially stands to either win or, or, or lose based on what, what, the, uh, what the state or federal government does in the future? Well, look, I, as, as, as this pandemic and economic crisis has moved forward, Joe, I, I, I put really our members, our 4,000 members into three buckets, and they're almost equal buckets. Um, a, a third are, were winners, and, and those winners varied from uh, takeout restaurants that you know, were built on that, uh, in that parameter as opposed to sit-down restaurants, to food sellers, to even bike shops, uh, to uh, the losers, which were typically uh, gift type of stores, clothing stores, jewelry stores, the things that maybe we would like to have but didn't need, um, you know, and, and then a whole lot of folks in the middle that, that uh, you know, maybe started off badly that were closed furniture store, but really have bounced back because we're all still at home and we want to, you know, uh, you know, we kind of had a return to home. We want to, you know, um, you know, make it nicer while we're here 24-7. Uh, you know, they've bounced back. So, you know, again, winners and losers and, uh, but, you know, the, the ones that were, I was always most concerned about were the non-essential uh, businesses that, you know, were forced to close, you know, ultimately were forced to lay off their employees because they weren't, they had no customers, they, they weren't open. So uh, they, they did the PPP, yet you know, the, with the rules, it, it, they may or may not have been able to have that money forgiven because they really didn't have the payroll. You know, we need to, again, take a look at ways that we help those that were, were hurt the, the most. And, and ironically, those are the ones that typically might have the most to look forward to as we enter that most important fourth quarter of, of the year. You know, those that really target the consumer for holiday sales, you know, uh, gift giving and, and the like, those are the ones that, that really were entering their sweet spot. And we need to get the customers back into the front doors and spending with those small businesses. 
Uh, Andrew, I didn't want to give you, uh, 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 I didn't want to discredit your perspective as a, as a research and a data guy. Um, in your research, uh, did you encounter uh, uh, individual firms or uh, real world accounts that influenced your observations of, of your data? Yes, uh, briefly. Um, I had some correspondence with a restaurant owner in Hingham who would have been required to pay uh, $25,000 in permitting fees just to have outdoor seating on the brick walkway behind his restaurant. Um, and that's because the, the right-of-way is owned by the, the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. Um, it's, a, it's above a, tra a train station that goes underground. Um, and so that's a public agency that's potentially the, the uh, barrier between, um, you know, this small business and uh, opening up a, a big opportunity to help um, mitigate the impacts of the pandemic in a way that serves the public good. Um, and I, I didn't really, uh, I wasn't able to verify exactly why the permitting costs for this were so high or whether the business owner even reached out to the MBTA. Um, but I just think, you know, that's reflected in the fact that this paper uh, touches on how permitting costs and delays uh, like this can render new projects and adaptations uh, to, to old projects like this restaurant, right, impracticable. John, many of our Hubwonk listeners have had the ability to adapt uh, through remote work or using Zoom, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, what have been the ways that you've seen your community adapt to the uh, pandemic? Uh, has, has it fundamentally changed the way your members are doing business? And, and do you think that'll have a lasting effect? Absolutely, Joe. Look, uh, over 40% of our members, uh, and, and again, focusing on the, the small guys, because a lot of the larger people have done this all along, have, have, are, are, you know, over a course of a few months, uh, reinvented themselves around the process of doing such, which otherwise it would have taken years to do. You know, they, you know, if they weren't previously really focused on online, they, they are now. Uh, similarly, curbside, by appointment only, delivery, all of these are, are new areas that if they, they weren't there before, they are now and they're going there. They also are frankly looking at, at uh, smaller footprints, less locations, you know, ways to, you know, still serve their customer and go to where those customers are uh, while lowering their cost of doing operations. Uh, it's going to have a, a big impact on on the number of locations we have and, and how much inventory they have and how many locations and how many people they employ. I want to bring that also back to Andrew. Uh, some of the conclusions in the report talked about uh, more flexibility, allowing smaller locations and perhaps mixed-use communities and uh, expediting the, the permitting process. Can you say more about why you came to those conclusions that is uh, perhaps allowing firms to have smaller spaces, perhaps in buildings that have been uh, residential prior? Uh, say more about what you'd, you'd like to see change uh, in response to this epidemic adapt adaptation. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the crux of it is that the smaller areas that are located in, in Area, like, like John said, you're bringing the, the businesses, you know, to where the people are. And um, that's kind of the, the big appeal of mixed-use um, developments. But it's also cognizant of the fact that even before the pandemic, um, you know, I think larger shopping malls and, uh, you know, office parks were kind of 
struggling, or if not struggling, it at least had some kind of untapped potential um, in terms of how they can they can uh, serve people on a daily basis. Um, and the the virus has potential to catalyze the long term trends, uh, like the movement to um, online purchases. Um, but if you're an independent retailer, um, uh, you either who relies on foot traffic, um, all of a sudden your your the way you use space might have to change uh, post COVID. Um, so I think that that latter point speaks to the need to not just have policies that provide flexibility for for business operations, but also flexibility in in the physical spaces that these businesses are occupying. Now, your, your paper uh, did offer a lot of policy suggestions. I think it was a, it's 25 pages and, and, and really dense with information. Um, what in your mind uh, of, of the policy prescriptions you offered is the most low-hanging fruit, meaning uh, offers the most benefit and perhaps uh, costs the least amount of uh, political capital or, or headache for policymakers? Right. Um, I think the tricky thing is some of the most urgent uh, needs of businesses um, uh, kind of are the most politically charged. Uh, I think top of mind for a lot of uh, small business owners right now is the potential next round of federal stimulus. Um, but I think in terms of, of low hanging fruit, we also talk a lot about regulatory reform in the paper, um, even if that feels less urgent. Uh, so during the COVID-19 economic recovery period, I think it would be a good time to kind of uh, do more to assess on an ongoing basis, whether the regulations we have in place are having the intended effects um, and look at how they're, they're affecting small businesses in particular. I think uh, forming a congressional committee on the federal level to look at that um, would be fantastic. Um, and I, I also think that on the state level, um, there's more that uh, we can do to, to enact regulatory reform. Um, maybe some of it isn't quite as, as easy as um, the congressional committee recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, I also want to touch on uh, some of the financial recommendations we make. Um, those stick out as low-hanging fruit. Uh, before the pandemic, several state leaders, uh, notably Deborah Goldberg of the state treasurer, we're calling for putting more money into the state's rainy day fund. Um, I think the state could do several things to make that easier going forward, such as raising the 15% cap on the annual share of the, the budget that can be in the rainy day fund at the end of the fiscal year. Um, and that's that's a, a policy that I, th I think could really help stabilize the finances of this, the state in the long run. Um, especially in the case of future crises um, that are long lasting, uh, even if it doesn't feel as uh, pressing as some of the uh, um, federal stimulus. Right. Um, a, a larger rainy day fund because we heretofore had no idea how rainy a rainy day could be. I, I think that's the... Yeah. That's the idea. John, I'm going to ask you the same question. Now, where do you see low-hanging fruit? Again, with a mind to what your members are asking for, what, what could we be doing uh, in, in an effective and relatively easy way? 
Well, Joe, what my uh, members are saying, they need one of two things. They need higher sales or they need lower costs. Hopefully some of both. Uh, it, look, we just had a, at the end of August, we had one of the best sales tax holidays we actually have ever had. That certainly was the best weekend of 2020. Uh, that was, you know, that's a proven government uh, created incentive to consumers to spend locally and it, and it worked. Uh, now we need to keep that momentum going. If we can look at other types of incentives for our consumers to get out and shop locally, that's important. You know, the governor has this Find My Local campaign. That's a good education effort that we strongly support. But then there's the issue of, of mandated payroll costs. I, I see a perfect storm coming, Joe and, and Andrew, for next January. We have another increase in the minimum, state minimum wage. We have the paid family and medical leave kicking in with the benefits uh, becoming effective. We have uh, for small businesses, an average increase on, on health insurance of 8%. I mean, utilization is way down on, on medical care, yet premiums are still going up 8%. I mean, that's mind boggling to me. Um, and, and on top of that, we have, you know, these UI deficits of five to, to, to uh, $6 billion, uh, which are estimated to be about $500 per employee for a you know, a, a unemployment crisis that was not of the employer's making. Um, you know, we got to do something uh, about some of those those mandates because collectively it's a perfect storm. It's way too much cost. And, and I don't, I know politically that's a difficult thing to, to do, but there needs to be a discussion how many of those can be reformed. We're dead last 50th by uh, the tax foundation on our UI unemployment uh, system. We have a not only the most the most generous, but we have the most easiest qualification standards in the entire country. So it's so the incentive is there for both employer and employees uh, to to abuse that system. There's some low hanging fruit that we can can do to try to curb the on the qualification side, not even on the benefit side, the qualification side that maybe we can do and try to get some tax revenue from the federal government to to bail out the the trust fund. We've got to do something. We can do something on the health insurance side, more competition, more flexibility and choices for small businesses. One fairly have to cross subsidize individuals in Massachusetts because of something called the merge marketplace, which is a Massachusetts only phenomenon. Um, we've got to look at all those things and look at them right away. Perhaps each of those might deserve its own uh, episode of Hubwonk. Uh, you covered a lot of ground. I want to double back to something else you touched on, both you and Andrew, uh, programs that encourage uh, consumers, which you said we want to lower costs, but we want to raise sales. How could a, a policy really genuinely uh, encourage uh, consumers to buy locally? And I'll also say, um, you know, we've got a lot of listeners. Our last episode, we have thousands of, of downloads. What could uh, our listeners do to support in their own actions, their everyday actions to support these local businesses? So give us a policy answer that what the way we could encourage local uh, consumerism, and as individuals, what could we do more? From my standpoint, I, I, I really think we could use, we need a conservative ongoing campaign. We're one of the few states that doesn't have a Main Street's office. You know, we really need to have collaborative ongoing promotions, not just Small Business Saturday, not just uh, uh, a sales tax holiday, an ongoing ec economic campaign to to tell those consumers that you know, they, they need to shop like jobs depend on it because they do. And, you know, and, and we've got to look at ways to, to uh, lower the cost of, 
of these operations, the mandates that, you know, it isn't one size fits all. So a lot of these small businesses can't afford something that maybe, uh, you know, big government can or big business can. We need to lower the cost of operations because I, I'm really concerned about where the next generation entrepreneurs are. If there's a huge barrier, financial barrier for these entrepreneurs to invest and, and really be the future job creators here in the Commonwealth. Yeah, just building off of, of that, I think our, our most recent paper has also touched a lot on uh, barriers to entry for, for new businesses. Um, occupational licensing is top of mind. Um, in the past five years or so, um, numerous uh, states in this country have, have uh, taken away requirements on you know, blue collar uh, service firms, especially to have extensive training for their staff before they're allowed to even have a sole proprietorship. Um, and this is, this is not just your doctors and lawyers, it's also your cosmetologist, the guy who installs your pool in your backyard. Okay, um, and John's absolutely right that um, the, the kind of cost side of things is something that we can make a lot of progress on in Massachusetts. Um, I'd also like to tackle uh, what consumers can do to support uh, businesses kind of on the, on the um, grassroots level here. Um, I think one of the, the insidious effects of this pandemic is that so many of the small businesses that at one time consider themselves, you know, uh, resistant to recessions because they catered primarily to uh, uh, consistent uh, uh, audiences like college students or patrons of a, a nearby sports stadium. So many places like that um, are very vulnerable during this pandemic. You know, it's one thing to support a local business when it's at a, a strip mall in a residential suburb. But you know, I've heard directly from, from people at the, the Massachusetts Restaurant Association um, that it's, it's the businesses right next to the big event venues and college campuses and tourist enclaves that are going to have the hardest time coming back. So we should all take a cab to Fenway and have a hot dog outside the stadium and, and think of uh, better days to come. Um, all right, so we're getting close to the um, end of the show. Um, uh, you know, many of the uh, people on Beacon Hill, the uh, in the legislature and uh, in uh, in the uh, state house, listen to Hubwonk. Are there any bills that you know of that are uh, sitting on on desks that need to get passed? Uh, do you is there anything that uh, we can advocate for that uh, we want to help expedite to uh, to uh, serve as relief for some of these small businesses? I think there's some good things in the economic development bill. You know that that. Uh, can and should get done, and I assume it will. Um, but you know, I, I think there needs to be some more discussion and 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 and, and some thought process of what we can do on those those four huge pillars, uh, cost uh, pillars that you know we're we're going to see come January on on paid family leave, uh, minimum wage, uh, un unemployment insurance, and, and and small business health insurance. I, you know, I, I'm not Pollyanna about this stuff. I know a lot of that is politically very difficult, but if there's some things that we can do uh, to mitigate it for uh, the small businesses, I think we would be remiss not to tackle that and tackle it in the coming weeks. Uh, now, finally, uh, Andrew, um, 
Uh, your team has done a great job with this report. Again, 25 pages, rich with information. Uh, you started in April, followed in July. Now we're here we are in the beginning of October. Uh, are you planning to continue your work and will there be a, uh, a follow-up paper in December? Um, I'm not sure about a follow-up paper. I think COVID-19 is still the issue right now from an economic policy standpoint. Um, but Pioneer does want to stay engaged uh, with you know, op-ed placements on this topic. We also want to do more surveys of business leaders and consumers alike to assess the needs uh, of small businesses and opportunities for future stimulus. All right, well, let me finish out by saying, of course, Pioneer Institute and Retailers uh, uh, Association of Massachusetts are both entirely uh, supported by their donors, uh, without which we wouldn't have this great research or this great conversation. Uh, if listeners, and I'll give you each a chance to uh, uh, pitch your, your organizations, but if listeners want to support your work, uh, where can they go? How can they do that? Well, for the Retailers Association, go to our website, retailersma.org. Uh, you know, we have 4,000 members, uh, but, you know, that's maybe a tenth of the world out there in the retail, restaurant, uh, auto service world. Um, you know, we... We would love to have them all as members. We provide uh, cost-saving services, uh, group buying type of services on top of what we've been doing for over 100 years on public policy. As well as advocacy, of course. Uh, and uh, Andrew, what, what would you like to say uh, for Pioneer? Yeah, if you want to help support both Pioneer's research on COVID-19 economic recovery prospects, as well as this podcast, you can go to www.pioneerinstitute.org donations. Well, I appreciate, uh, I've never had a guest plug uh, the, the podcast. Uh, I appreciate that a great deal. Thank you very much, Andrew. All right, so that's going to be a wrap. I appreciate both you gentlemen being on the show. I think our listeners uh, learned a lot. And uh, we also know where we can follow up to uh, uh, maintain our advocacy of, of small business and uh, the economy in general of Massachusetts. Joe, John, thank you both so much. Thank you both. This has been another episode of Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Salvaggi. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support the show. You can give us a five-star rating. You can offer a review. And of course, share it with friends. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, or if, as Andrew mentioned, you would like to support Pioneer or this podcast, you can reach me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join us next week for a new episode of Hubwalk.